0: back to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. This week, we are talking with entrepreneur, adventurer, endurance athlete, Josh Sprague. Uh, Josh is the CEO of Orange Mud, (laughs) which is a sentence I never thought I would say. Um, Orange Mud is an adventure gear company, and they have all sorts of running packs uh different backpacks hydration things uh clothing um but really it's it's really interesting because it's all kind of geared towards everything josh is passionate about so adventure racing mountain biking gravel biking uh ultra running he even has different packs for um stand-up paddleboard use uh all sorts of stuff. So if you're into adventure, he pretty much has like every adventure covered. Um, and the thing that I think is really cool about Josh is it's obvious that he's an adventurer himself. Um, you know, like he's developed these things through his own use and his own kind of personal experiences. Uh, just a kind of, Tied into something i saw recently i watched this movie called clunkers which is about the history of mountain biking and it it's fascinating you should totally watch it if you're into mountain biking at all it's a really kind of interesting take on this sport that just randomly evolved uh out of these guys who just decided they want to take they wanted to take bikes down these mountains and basically these guys turned into entrepreneurs because they were the only ones in the United States at the time that were making these bikes. They were the only ones that knew how to make and, you know, modify bikes in a way that could handle heading down these steep trails. Um, And it reminds me a bit of Josh's story because, you know, Josh was or is an adventure racer and he decided that the packs that he was using, he basically like would go in before every adventure after every, every race. And he would modify it in ways that suited him or ways that kind of like gave him an advantage, him and his team an advantage in the races um, because they were just more efficient, Uh, which is to me. It's always interesting when you discover someone who, just follows their passion to the point where something unexpected happens out of it right like he's just following his passion of adventure racing and as someone who likes to tinker and modify modify gear and all of a sudden now something's come out of it and now he has a company where he that's what he does you know Um, with the clunkers film uh, it's these guys who just were dudes who liked hanging out together and riding down hills and, and then, you know, a random guy would show up and he would have a different, uh, kind of break put in on his bike and everyone would be like, Whoa, what a good idea. And then they would do it. And it evolved into this thing where now they're, they're becoming businessmen from it, which is, which is fascinating to me. So, uh, and it's just, you know, another reason why they always say like, follow your passions like you don't know if you just follow them blindly and you're not sure where they're gonna lead they're gonna lead you into some really interesting places which is super cool um so this episode i get a nerd out about adventure racing which i absolutely love um (laughs) by talking to josh and josh gets to share about all sorts of different things i mean he's into every if you like adventure you're gonna like josh and i gotta say like It was my first time talking with him and he's just one of those guys where you talk to him for the very first time and you're like, oh yeah, this is a good dude. I could talk to this dude for hours and hours and hours. Um, So we talk about that. We talk about venture racing. He recently completed Leadman and if you are in the endurance community, you can barely, if you're like me, you can barely wrap your head around what Leadman must entail. So essentially it's, it's competing in all of the Leadville races throughout the summer. So the mountain bikes, the runs, there's various distances. Um, you know, it goes from the marathon all the way up to 100 miles. And it goes from a 50-mile bike all the way to a 100-mile mountain bike, which is just mind-blowing. And Leadville, if you've never been there, we talk a little bit about it. But it is one of the highest, like, elevation for a town in the united states it's at ten thousand feet it's this old mining town and it's just a really it's one of my favorite places in colorado which is a state of favorite places so it's it's it stands out amongst a lot of places that have the potential to stand out so it's super cool so i enjoyed talking about that too um let's get into it uh hope you guys enjoy the episode if this is your very first one uh, feel free to check out our library of episodes you can find us wherever you hear podcasts itunes soundcloud all of those places um, we have all sorts of different adventures um, different athletes that we talk to about a wide range of like outdoor sports and outdoor ad- adventure uh, adventures and then like endurance racing and all sorts of things going from mindset things to all the way to just like wacky adventures people had so hopefully you guys have been enjoying um yeah let's get into it this is the like a bigfoot podcast number 116 with josh Sprague. this week on the podcast i have josh spreg um, uh, creator of orange mud which is a gear company um but yeah man welcome to the show
1: Thanks for having me on, Chris.
0: Appreciate it. Yeah, man. I'm excited. So you just mentioned to me that about the kind of the crazy summer you had. Um, so I it sounds like you did lead man, is that right?
1: I did. Oh yeah. my god, dude. Okay. definitely. <laughs> kind of. Kind of? Yeah. Well, I guess it depends how you look at it. It was a success in many ways, but uh I DNF'd the run at mile seventy one again for the second year in a row. So I'm I'm apparently good at completing all four races, with exception of the fifth, um, which I DNF two years in a row at the same spot. So, yeah, I think I'm going to take a break
0: on that race for yeah. a little while.
1: But, uh, but yeah, it was a good season for sure.
0: That's awesome. So, if someone's out there listening and they don't really know what Leadman is, can you kind of kind of give them a, a brief description of it?
1: Yeah. So yeah, Leadman is. Um, all up in Leadville, it's all the Leadville Main Race Series. So you start with a Leadville Trail Marathon, which is brutal. Actually, um, I'd put that up right there against like most harder than almost the rest of the events. And um, and then after that, you go off and you do the, either the 50 mile bike or the 50 mile run, and which are also hard. <laughs> um, but you can do one of the other. You don't have to do both. And then after that, you have to go and do the 100 mile mountain bike race. And the very next week, oh, and then there's a 10K the next morning after the 100 mile mountain bike race. <laughs> and then, uh, which is silly, but they make you do that. And then um, after that, you go and you do the very next weekend on, on the following Saturday, you run the 100 mile trail run.
0: Wow, man. How many people sign up for every single event?
1: I think there's a, like this year, I think it was, it's basically 100. Yeah. So like every year is right around 100 plus or minus 10 or 20.
0: Okay. Wow, so there's a hundred, and are most of them from Colorado, or are people from all over the place, and they just keep no, flying out? No, yeah,
1: it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely um, a little bit of an international audience, but it's definitely uh all-over-the-U.S. audience. Wow, man,
0: that's so... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's
1: diverse, and, you know, there's a lot of people that sign up um, in it from, like, I had a couple buddies this year from the Southeast, one from Florida, the other one from, I think, North Carolina or South Carolina, I always forget which one, but uh, they did it initially just because they wanted to do the 100-mile mountain bike race. And then as they got through it, they're like, well, shoot, we already made it this far. I guess we might as well go do the 100-mile run. So uh, it sucks you in. It's, it's almost like the sport of Ironman, you know, where you do one and they you next know, thing you get sucked into doing doing more. But Leadville is kind of like that, I think. You know, it's, for me, it's it's about a really amazing culture. And it's, it's all the events are amazing, the town, the people. Uh, the landscape. And I mean, it's the courses are, they're pretty epic. I mean, they, they'll hurt every single one will make you not forget it because they're pretty brutal. Yeah.
0: What is it about the town? Like I, that's one of my absolute favorite towns out here and I can never figure out why I'm always like, is it because you got Mount massive and Mount Albert kind of like overlooking the town? Is it cause you have that really cool street with all those old timey bars and saloons and all that stuff?
1: Yeah, it's all. You know, I, I think sometimes you go to, you know, a, a tourist town per se, and and you are immediately made to feel that you are, you know, you're in their place. Yeah. It's a, you are a tourist there, and you know, I, I think Leadville just doesn't really have that. They do a really good job with being very inviting, and and you, I'm sure there's people there. I've I've heard there's definitely people there that maybe aren't happy with the event, and it draws so much it's not just the race weekends it draws throughout the summer people coming there to train all the time it pulls a lot of people which is great for the town uh financially but i guess if you're you know if you're one that's maybe from the old town Leadville, it's been there a long time and it's you appreciated that it was a quiet little sleepy mining town then maybe you don't like the extra glim and glam that comes in with it but but I don't know. I, I think a lot of people up there, I and mean, you—you see, you, a lot of people, for that matter, that live there. They have literally moved there to come and train more, so they can be better for Leadville. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> I mean, it, it definitely brings a whole different character of people. But but it's all kind of a little bit of that. I don't know. I think it's like the way it started with you know, Crazy Kin was the guy who started the race, and and you know, between him and Mary Lee, and and when you see his, you know. Kind of a, I say this in a in a really positive way, but like this kind of redneck kind of, this is what we do, go for it. I really do mean that in a positive way,
0: like a toughness Um, almost, right?
1: Yeah, it's a rugged toughness. It's it's fiercely independent. I mean, that's what really the town, I I believe, has that feeling of, and and again, the races kind of all do too. And that's where I just, I do, I just, I love being up there. And then again, yeah, of course the the views of massive and Elbert really the whole range, you know, Leadville is basically in a bowl at the bottom of the bowl. And you're looking up at all the massive mountain peaks. And, you know, when you go off and you tackle the course or like, like, like this year, you know, people were like, okay, you know, I'm doing the Leadville hundred mountain bike race, but this is the first time ever coming to Leadville. I don't know anything. You wow. give me the rundown. I'm like, okay, I'm like we're biking over there. And they're like, we're where I'm like, like basically beyond where you can see, <laughs> that's kind of <laughs> where we're going. And they're like, oh <laughs> and and you know it's it's a it's an adventure it's it's a big course you know these are big i mean the 100 mile mountain bike and the 100 mile run are out and backs but the trail marathon and silver rush are yeah uh, silver rush is an out and back. there's a little bit of a loop component too and then the trail marathon is is an out and back but the way the course lays out it feels like a loop (laughs)
2: yeah (laughs) you
1: swear you didn't run the same thing it's like hard the whole way yeah uh, which doesn't seem possible just like silver rush you would think it's too like just one big loop because it's uphill for 40 miles and then downhill for like 10 and that shouldn't be possible in an out and back but like that course is it literally sucks your will to live is yeah. the way i see it it's it's terrible in a good way
0: yeah what is it about sure. what what is it about the marathon course um, that makes it so brutal and you know what's funny is this year i it's on my bucket list the that one's definitely on there something i want to do but it has to be one of the most popular trail runs in the united states because just based off of like the small sample size from this podcast i'm pretty sure that weekend I would see people posting online and I'm like, wow, I think I have like four previous podcast guests that are doing the marathon.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I mean, the marathon is, it's, it's hard. I mean, I think what is it like 8,000 feet? I'd have to, you have to look at the race website, but I think it's 8,000 feet of vertical 26.2 miles. And of course everything starts at 10,000 feet anyway. So you're already really high. You summit at like 13.6, I think, at the saddle, um, which is basically almost a mountain peak. But, uh, um, and it's, it's, I think, between the altitude, the course, just being just constantly rough. You know, it's a lot of uphill mixed with like even on the flats and downhills, they're usually, well, there's very few flats. It's pretty much like downhill that is loose and a little bit bouldery. To where, or it's like this loose, fine stuff over a hard pack. So, no matter what, basically, you never get into a really strong rhythm. Yeah. Unless you're just a freak of nature. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think an average finish time is probably six hours there.
0: Wow, yeah, it's, man. It's, it's
1: yeah, it's a, it's a hard course. Yeah. It's definitely not a typical trail marathon. I mean, there's plenty of trail marathons you can run almost the same as you can on a road because it's a little bit softer and kind of a little more varied terrain, you know, so you get a little more. I don't know, sometimes a little bit more brakes can help with speed, but this is definitely not a course for a PR, that's for sure.
0: Yeah. How do you how do you handle altitude?
1: You know, that has not been an issue at all. I mean, living in Casa yeah. yes, Rock, we're at like sixty, six hundred feet, I think, is where my house is. And that probably helps, of course, but you know, we're going double the altitude, over yeah. double the altitude. So what I what I find is that you know, maybe my, like your heart rate, or your heartbeat's a little weird. You know, it's, it sometimes is, it, it's, it's, I find my heartbeat is a little bit slower at altitude, which is odd, but yet the upper end is, is less. So it's weird. But, but what I find that it really gets me, it's really above 12,000 feet. Anything yeah. up, you know, it's around 12,000. I'm pretty good. But once I cross that 12,000 foot area, everything starts to get pretty dang rough. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's just, you know, your, your power goes out. But really, below that's not bad. And, and oddly, I find like racing in Estes Park. I did a race there last year. That's just epic, and and it kicked my butt. Which could have been because it was like two weeks after doing the Leadville hundred mountain bike and run. Um, that could have been it. Yeah. But I swear, like at five, six, seven, eight thousand feet, sometimes you know, like a an altitude just only maybe a couple thousand feet higher than where you live seems to be harder than going up higher. And I don't know if it's because you feel like. The Delta is so much smaller. You should be able to go full power and you can't, whereas at higher altitude, you just already chalk it up to you go at your own pace and back it off. I don't know. It's, it's kind of a weird thing, but, but yeah, it, it doesn't seem to really hurt me too much, but um, it's, uh, it's all about just finding a pace and sticking to it.
0: Yeah. I, I did a race recently and we got above 12,000 a couple times and I remember at the end of the race or towards the end at an aid station, just looking at the person being like, please tell me we don't have to go above 12,000 again, because I don't know you're exactly right. Like I totally relate to that because it's whatever it is at that altitude. That's when it kicks in where you're like, whoa, we are way up here and I don't feel good.
1: Yep, exactly. But yeah, it's it's brutal. I, I remember I did a uh, seven day hut to hut ride from Telluride to Moab. Uh, years ago, on my mountain bike, and when we left Telluride, it was like I think Telluride's at ten thousand feet, maybe nine. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's, it's pretty hot. high up there. And uh, but I remember we were going up this gravel road to like thirteen eight, I think that day, that first day, on our mountain bikes, loaded full of gear, as we're going up the mountain. I remember thinking like, why in the world do I have to walk my bike right here? It was almost flat, and it was un- literally unrideable. I couldn't do it, yeah. and and it, it just it had to be at altitude and it was usually, it, I think and I lived in Arizona at the time where it was, you know, the 1400 feet, but, but that was probably again about 12,000 feet because it was just like the last two miles or so where we, we had to kick it off and just walk. So yeah, yeah altitude's a weird thing.
0: Yeah, man. So I guess when you think about the hundred mile race and you mentioned two DNFs like at that, yep. it was at the same exact spot. Yeah. What, what's yeah. what's getting you there?
1: Well, so two years ago, I broke four of my metatarsals about mile 20. And I picked <laughs> up a stick and kind of got to mile 40 using the stick as just a little whatever crutch. And then I had my trekking poles at Twin Lakes. And I ran up and Hook Pass and back. And, and I thought I could do it, but I, I mean, I basically hopped on one, one, one leg for 52 miles. And uh, so that didn't work. So uh, that took me out. So this year, um, I was actually, I, d- I ran up and down Pikes Peak like three weeks before maybe four weeks. And, and, uh, and I had the exact same, what I thought was the exact same injury. I didn't go to the doctor because I figured, you know, I'm doing the race anyway. Uh, we'll just have to stick it out and see what happens. Yeah. But, um, but no, you know, I, I, um, went into the race and I, and I had a plan. I I did call, I did like an online Skype with a uh, podiatrist, which was amazing. The running doc. He's awesome. (laughs) And, uh, and he's like, dude, do this. And he gave me some tips to, to basically take the pressure off the top of my foot. And um, so I did, I, you know, I took some foam and I rigged it into my tennis shoe and I made this whole crude concoction. Um, and, you know, I was, I was petrified the whole race last year. It hurt at mile 20. And I thought, man, if I could just get to mile 50, I can do it. I know I can do it. I just have to get to mile 50. Um, and, you know, next thing I know, I was jamming like 40 miles in, I felt like a champ. I was on a 21 and a half hour pace. At that point, granted, I had Hope passed, so I knew I was gonna lose, I was gonna lose that pace, but, but I felt good, I felt fresh. And uh, ran up and over Hope, and on the way back, it was, it was like a half, a, uh, shoot, a quarter mile, <laughs> a couple hundred yards, it was very little, before I got to the bottom of Hope. After going all the way back, and all the way back over, um, coming into the aid station at mile like 58, I think it was, um, I, um, yeah, I twisted my ankle really oh. bad, and it was just bad luck. So yeah, I kind of, uh, we had a, a good little clip going down the mountain and, um, um, you know, I kind of hobbled over and I probably rolled it another 15, 20 times going to the TA cause it was kind of all this U shaped trailhead in that area. And uh, it it's down in kind of like a, I hate to say marsh, cause it's not really marsh, but it's, it's a little wet area ish. And, uh, in the bottom of the Valley and I went into Twin Lakes. I'm like, this is stupid. I'm not going to go on. I, I like my ankle is toast and uh, my crew is like, come on. So I was like, all right. So I finally, they talked me into it reluctantly. Um, but just like anything, you know, when you do these things, you always have these, you know, hopes and wishes and you uh, this grandeur that's about to happen. And then sometimes reality sets in and you're, you know, just as well. But, uh, but yeah, so I went off and, and tried the next section. I rolled my ankle maybe 10, 15 more times in the first quarter mile. And I could tell my pacers like, I don't know if this is intelligent, <laughs> but uh, he kind of had that look where he's like, this, this is stupid also, but he didn't say anything and uh, kudos to him. That's a good pace. Uh, you know, it would. Yeah. You know, Mike was. And then next thing you know, like I quit rolling. It didn't roll anymore for the rest of that section. Now that being said, the damage was probably done and it probably didn't, I didn't roll it anymore because the swelling probably got so tight in the tape that it couldn't roll. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, at that point, my, my, ankle was just toast and my pace was junk and I just didn't I I, I was cut off time wise. So uh, yeah, I uh you know, I it's, yeah, I've done literally over three hundred races now in my life and and um and Leadville has, has gotten me two DNFs. Um uh, first time ever DNFing in an Ultra. Um I only dnf in a mountain bike race once and that's because my shock broke. Um, in a 200-mile bike race, and it broke literally at the start line. I still biked to mile 63 or something like that, and, and I was like, well, this is not going to work. And uh, and I dnf uh, twice with my teammates when we had once, all of us had hypothermia in an adventure race like 18 hours in, and uh, there was one other one I forget now. But, you know, it's, it's just basically, long story short, DNS is not in my DNA, but yeah. it gave me a whole new respect for people doing ultras because, You know, I, again, I think I'm, I'm pretty tough. I'm really stubborn is probably the better way to look at it. But, um, I, I cannot believe I DNF, especially the same race twice, let alone DNFing in general. And as a result, I'm taking a break. I'm not going to go back. I can't, I just can't go back and do that race for a bit. I need a, I need a, I don't know, a timeout (laughs) before I go back (laughs) and try it again. If I do, I don't know. I'm kind of feeling defeated on that one at this point. It's a hard race. It's deceptively hard because it's, it's a very runnable race a lot of the course is it suits someone that can run a good cadence. You know, it's, there's a lot of like fairly runnable stuff. And then of course you have hope pass, which is just demoralizing, but it's in the cutoffs are so tight. that That is the most frustrating part about the race. Like I could have finished it if they had a bigger cutoff, yeah. you know, it's, it's not like I dropped because I was just being a, I don't know, sissy about it. I just, the cutoffs are so dang tight. I I couldn't do it. And, um, you know, good ankles are not, or good unbroken metatarsals are not. I, it's so a lot of people that are awfully amazing athletes. You see, you don't finish. And, and that's, uh, that's frustrating.
0: Yeah. But I think there's also something to be said about toughing it out as long as you possibly can. And that's what it sounds like you did is you're just like, Oh, I'm going to tough this out. And then eventually time caught up with you. But but like yeah it's almost like you can gain a lot from that experience too not only just the finishing if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, oh for sure. I mean, in the end, you know, ultras in general have a very high DNF rate because at least in that 100-mile category because they're hard, right? Right? I mean, it's 100 miles no matter what you do on a good day is painful and on a bad day is is just really terrible. So everybody's out there suffering together and it's really fun to to uh spend a lot of quality time with people on course and this year i was actually largely by myself um a lot of the race it just worked out odd like that where there was just no one around last year however i got to run with some people a lot of different people for quite a big you know most of the time and and i i'm actually still friends with some of the people i ran with that i met during the course and you know, I had people follow up afterwards, like, Hey man, I'm, you know, I'm Jim. We, we ran for a few miles together in the backside of hope pass. I had your, your, your original pack that you made from four years ago. And no and it was just so neat to, to, to experience that. And, and so, yeah, I was, it's, there's definitely, I got last year I was just gutted. I was disgusted with myself. I could not believe that I, I couldn't finish the race, especially being only, you know, only 28 miles from the finish. Um, but this year I chalked it up to literally I, I wasn't as defeated. Um, I was just – I wasn't as disgusted with myself, let's put it that way. This year I chalked it up to, you know what, the course beat me. Sometimes things are out of your hands. And, uh, you know, I'm just taking a break from that, that one for a while. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's an odd one because my experiences were still great. And, you know, in the end we live in a first world country of, you know, we, we just can't get upset about – like, I, I think DNFs suck and I, I don't ever want to just make downplay, uh, you know, oh, it's only DNF. That's certainly not what I'm saying. But in the end it's like, what am I going to do? Am I going to cry that I got a DNF and a hundred mile ultra race and I got to do five awesome races in Leadville. I mean, this, this, these are awesome challenges and awesome, you know, experiences I got to have. You can only be so upset about it. Um, so that was my attitude this year. Look at it, look at it as a positive rather than just beating yourself up when, yeah, we have a lot of other things we should be worrying about.
0: Yeah, man, for sure. That's a, I mean, that's a good you know way to view it too. Um, and at the end of the day, you're like, I signed up for this myself. <laughs> you know, no one's yeah. forcing me to do this.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's weird, right? I mean, like in the sport, I see some people DNF all the time, and and it, and I struggle with that because yeah. I, again, it's not in my DNA to do that. You know, I. I I'm the guy, just, you know, I commit to something, I do it. I'm the guy that, like, if you ask me, like, hey, Josh just going to run on Thursday or bike ride, and then if it's, like, in a blizzard on Thursday and there's a tornado barreling <laughs> down upon us, I'd call you and be like, hey, Chris, you know, I mean, I'll still go. But <laughs> there's a foot of snow on the ground and there's a tornado coming and, you know, like, there's a volcano about there, erupt. So, but if you want to go, I already told you I go. I'm still in. That's that's who I am. I'm, I'm always a man of my word, but... But um, but at the same time, you do hit a point sometimes where, you know, in the end, it's still just a race and you can't beat yourself up. So yeah. I it's, yeah, PNFing and whatever, it's it's a weird, it's a weird thing. But, uh, but yeah, you, you got to look at it positive and just can't always be beating yourself up, I guess.
0: For sure. So what did you, you mentioned over 300 races. So can you kind of give us a breakdown? Like, how'd you get into these things? Like, when did it yeah. start for you, you know? Um is was it something cuz you see the people who do like 30 races in one year and you're like, "Whoa, that person yeah. got in deep." <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, and I've been that guy. So <laughs> That's the, all. I was um, yeah. So it's so it really started like I ran cross country and I you know, did a lot of adventure stuff as a kid and all but there, it really started when I moved to Arizona. Um I did um a Muddy Buddy with a customer of mine years ago. It's a little 10K bike and run. And it's just fun. You just alternate. Basically, each of you bike 3.1 and each of you run 3.1. And and I had so much fun. It was just friggin' awesome. It was in Kent Pendleton in California is where I did the race. And, uh, uh, you know, as you're running through, I remember we were going through this mud pit and the Marines are like, get down on the, the ground. ground and they got a gun in your face. And I'm sure it wasn't <laughs> loaded, although it probably was. Uh, but I remember like, this is awesome like, this is so cool. I'm crawling through mud. I got Marines, like with guns. They're like This this is a cool situation. I was like, we need to do, I got to do more of this and I need to do it on a bigger scale. So from there I, I was also mountain biking at the time, not competitively, but I was just kind of screwing around with it and learning about biking. I had a buddy of mine that got me big into it. And, and uh, so I thought, well, I like to run and I can do that better than biking at the time. And so I wanted to mix those two together more so into bigger events. So, we did a balance bar sprint adventure race with some buddies and then a uh, six hour race and then from there it jumped into twenty four hour adventure race and then we just kept going. So a lot of my background was in adventure racing. Um like I've done right about a hundred adventure races and then wow, with adventure racing it's mountain biking, trail running, kayak and rock climbing, yeah, navigation, racing, you know, everything. And so with that you had to train a lot on the bike. It was a lot about, you know. Being a powerful biker, powerful runner, powerful swimmer, uh, kayaker, sorry. Uh, those are the three key elements. Um, and then you do get swimming and rollerblading and navigation, all these other things that vary per race, but, but so the mountain biking, I kept training and training with that. And I fell into so much love with my mountain bike. I, to this day, like I can have the worst day of my life and I go on a bike ride and I'm back to hundred percent. It's, it's the only sport that brings me pure joy. So I've done uh, a, a lot of mountain bike races I don't know how many anymore but it's somewhere well north of a hundred it's probably more like well north of 200 at this point um, it's it's just something that I just absolutely love to do and and I'm, I like endurance probably because I'm not that fast I've never been that fast um, you know it's occasionally I've been decent with speed um, and when I just focused on mountain bike racing mostly one year but even so it's not my forte I'm good at I'm good at suffering and just being more stubborn. So, um, so I I like to do you know long gravel bike, long mountain bikes, and and that's kind of really what gave me my sense of adventure. But yet I was pretty good at it, so that really helped to make me want to do it more. And you know, with like running, I just feel like I'm just an average runner. I, I'll do big things and I like doing neat things, but it doesn't mean I'm awesome at it. Yeah. <laughs> I won't be podiuming ever in an <laughs> ultra unless. Like everybody made a wrong turn. It's the only <laughs> way I will be in top fifty is they're, because everybody made a wrong turn. They're like so, the
0: first one hundred people all went to the right five yeah, thousand exactly. miles ago <laughs> or whatever.
1: Exactly. That's the only way. I, yeah. Someone would literally have to screw up from mile one and not be able to.
0: I've you know, seen recruit. it happen so, though. I I remember I did. Me too. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? It's like the first aid station, all the leaders went the wrong way. And then they have yep. to decide like, we just added six miles. This is in the first like two hours of the race. And they have to make that choice of like, is this just not my day or do I want to continue?
1: Yep. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I keep waiting for it to happen every time that I'm somewhat close to the front of a race yeah. um, for everybody to make a mistake, but so far it hasn't happened.
0: <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I guess I'll just be good. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, so selfishly, I'm going to ask you this question. I sure. really have been enjoying mountain biking since I've been out here. I'm no good at it. Um, the This is my second summer, like really doing it a lot. And the first summer, basically I have scars all over my legs from it, from crashing. Yeah. But... What I, I, I've never done a mountain bike race, but that really interests me. So is there any kind of in the Colorado area that would be like a good beginner mountain bike race or mountain bike ride or, or something like that? Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, there's a, a whole race in uh, series in Highlands ranch. I I think it's called the Highlands ranch race series. Um, it's like on a Tuesday night or something through the summer. There's maybe eight of them, I think. Um, and they're about 10 miles ish. And range, so you know it's a good way to kind of get your feet wet, um, and then from there you can kind of figure out all right where are my legs at for something bigger like Silver Rush. The fifty mile yeah. is part of the Leadville series. I would definitely not recommend until you get your uh, legs and your technical abilities ready. Yeah. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, you know Colorado has a lot of hard races, but you know sometimes it's your local ones that can be some of the most fun, and they they kind of teach you a lot about about you know your bike handling how to deal with crowds You know sometimes mountain biking is simply a matter of how comfortable are you going to be when you and i are trying to go through the same narrow piece of single track and i'm going to bump you a little bit yeah um that's that's where some of these small races are great because you get a little bit of comfort with that and you realize like okay i'm a lot more stable than i thought i would be and i'm not going to fall over if this guy bumps me right now so um that's a, a good way to kind of get your feet wet and then the gravel grind series is a great way especially if there's a lot of ultra runners that that I've seen getting into gravel grind that are going out and riding the 50 and hundred mile rides on their, on their mountain bike is totally fine. You know, again, you're not going to, you're not going to win it probably anyway, um, on a mountain bike, but you're not going to be much, slower than somebody that's on a bike made for gravel either. And it's a great way to get good endurance miles. It's a good way probably not to bleed afterwards because it's not as likely you're going to crash in a (laughs) gravel bike race. Um and then again you're getting great exercise. It's going to carry over really well into the running scene as well.
0: Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. I it's something that really interests me, but there's, you know I don't know. It's intimidating. It isn't anytime you're signing up for a new event it's intimidating you're like oh man i'm back to being like a newbie you know like square one so yeah
1: and especially mountain biking you know i i had i was like days away from not biking ever again when i was learning years ago and i crashed so many times i remember my girlfriend back then every time i'd come back i was bleeding every time and (laughs) each time she's like why and i was riding like five days a week just trying to figure it out for like nine months and like every time because i am kind of an idiot so i do try to push even though i wasn't technically able to ride some of this stuff now i just couldn't get out of my pedals very well and you know i i almost was ready to quit and one day my buddy's like dude i think your pedals are just defective and i was like you think so i'm like i don't know how you guys get out of these things." And um, it was like my right side, I could never unclip. And I got a pair of crank, uh, crank brothers, egg beaters. And I like instantly was doing good. I mean, granted I still crashed from time to time, but it was, it was a game changer. So half the time, I think it's just getting the right equipment. And when you're new, uh, people are weird. Sometimes with giving you advice. They're like, Oh, like I remember asking my buddy, I'm like, what's a good bike saddle. And he's like, Ooh, can't tell you on that one. I'm like, well, what saddle do you ride? He's like, well, I don't want to steer you the wrong way. I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. You like your saddle. You and I look like the same person. Tell me what saddle makes your butt feel good, and I'll <laughs> ride that one. This is crazy. But, you know, and, like, you ask people, like, what pedals do you ride? Oh, well, you know, I mean, I do. You know, I have some, but, you know, people are weird sometimes. So, yeah. like, I'm not that guy. You ask me, like, what pedals should I get? I'll tell you exactly what pedals to get. <laughs> you yeah. want to know what saddle? I'll tell you what saddle. And it's the same way with shoes, right, in the, in the running scene.
0: People talk about shoes all the time. I can't really stand it, but at the same time, I have, I've made it a intrigued. point. I've made it a point on the podcast to barely ever talk about shoes. Just and that's just a freaking saying. fantastic <laughs> reason. Because <laughs> I'm like, I don't care, you, man. I just horrible. go to the store and I'm just like, I don't know how about ones with. Like, I'll just take any pair of shoes. Just let me try them on, and we'll see if they feel good. Yeah, that's, yeah. I just want something
1: comfortable that I can run in. I don't give a crap about stack heights or what freaking color it is you know but yeah yeah it's it's that same you find the same crossover into the bike space where people are like Ooh, I can't really tell you what my opinion <laughs> is on this although I do have 500 I mean it's a weird thing
0: so yeah it is yeah. weird because you're definitely a gear guy obviously
1: oh yeah yeah I I'm mean I'm 100% gear nerd I mean we uh
0: yeah no all the
1: time I mean if, <laughs> if I go to a store if I'm like this week I was, I've been traveling and when I was going through the airport, I was examining every single backpack and like, Oh, that's kind of a neat little feature. And oh, yeah, uh, I man. wonder what that one does. How do I integrate that in mine? And so, yeah, it's, it's uh, I'm a hundred percent nerdy gear and I'll go back and I'll build a pack just because I want one for me personally and I'll, I'll go make it. That's and, cool. And it's been kind of fun.
0: Yeah. So when but, did, when did that start? Um, and how did that start? Have you always been kind of a hands-on, you know, tinkerer? Is that, is that yeah. a word? Tinkerer?
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, uh, well, so we started Orange Mud uh, six years ago. Okay. Uh, actually, this month. Um, I, 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 I forget. Our, we launched our Idek on October 27th of 2012. And, um, yeah, I, I grew up, you know, country boy and kind of always out of necessity, really. You had to learn how to fix your own things. And if you wanted something, you had to build it. So that's kind of the way it was. Um, and I think it's just carried over to being an adult. I wanted a, a pack for – actually, back then it was for triathlon. And, um, and that's why I launched our first pack was actually for Ironman and, um, for me. And, and then next thing you know, it just kind of evolved into, you know, I've never really liked running on the road that much. So I really made it, I wanted one for trail running and I liked the mountain bike. So I made one for mountain biking and, and, you know, I, I hiked up Pikes Peak, uh, what three years ago, two, two years ago, um, in, you know, still heavy snow and I needed a pack to carry snowshoes. I didn't have one, so. I made one, and now we have our adventure pack. And see, so yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a. A lot of our products have evolved based upon what I wanted for me, and then I obviously want to make them good for everybody else too. So, I kind of tinkered along and made it happen.
0: Yeah, man, that's awesome. Because, you know, once you head off into the mountains, like really, your pack is one of kind of your your life. You know, like your, your safety blanket. Yeah, man. Like if that pack broke, if one of those straps broke, you'd be like, oh my God, like what do I do now?
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's it's the thing I worry about the most. And, and you know, and so it's even further compounded on my side now because, you know, yeah, I don't want my pack to ever fail when I'm out in wherever doing whatever I'm doing because it could, it could actually put you in danger. And then the other side is that I don't want because I design everything. I don't want anybody to be like, yeah, Josh's pack sucks yeah, because it's yeah. broke, and so I, you know, I, I don't want to be that guy, so I I literally build in multiple redundant failure points into packs that if
0: one fails, there's a backup. No way, really. You point. have like and a backup shoot on like a pit, yeah, yeah, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. So I, mean, I basically I build it via seams. So like if one seam, we'd have to have multiple seams fail for anything yeah. critical to happen, um, and yeah, it, it makes a For me, it makes me sleep better at night because, you know, maybe maybe I misjudged, I don't know, the uh, high intensity humidity and sweat rate of um, Malaysia and whatever. Maybe there's a small group of Samoans that live there that run in our packs that are so strong and so big that they just, you know, rip the packs open, you know, in the mixture of moisture and sweat and heat and size and power. So I like to build in these extra failure points just for that, let alone you know something weird that you and i are out for a run and we trip we hit a tree branch and you know it, and it could rip the pack you know i want to make sure i have failure points even for that so, yeah. so a lot of times it's, it's generally over abuse is what i'm really building in washing machines are the freaking devil you know i can always tell when people are like hey this pack broke and i look i'm like that thing's seen its fair share of heavy duty washing machines washing <laughs> machines are they're just extremely powerful. You have an extremely powerful motor that's spinning back and forth in the agitator uh, it with water enclosed and can spin the friggin a barrel of water enclosed at a very high rate of speed. And then I don't think maybe sometimes people think about what power that can do, especially if it gets to hold a strap strong of a backpack. Yeah. So, again, there's a lot of things we have to do just to build in for things that we tell people not to do. But we know they're probably going to do them anyway, so we try to work around that.
0: <laughs> yeah. What, uh, is there anything else besides washing machines that you're like, please don't please do not do this to our packs? Oh, just washing machines. Just that? I, the washing machines.
1: <laughs> like, yeah, even for me. I mean, here I say don't ever do it. The other day I was washing a bunch of my packs, and I think I was on the phone or something when I started the washing machine. I left it on the normal cycle. So we yeah. have a hand wash cycle, and it works great. But yeah. um, But I I went in there and like some cord locks came under like it it actually unraveled some shock cord. I was pretty impressed. I'm like, how in the world did that even do that? But again, it probably just got twisted around the agitator and sucked and pulled it around. Next thing you know, it freaking pulled the shock cord knot out. And, yeah. Yeah, which I was able to tie back, but it, it, it just shows how how, you know, packs are not designed to go in the washing machine. Yeah. Unless they're in a mesh bag. That helps.
0: Oh but, yeah, okay.
1: Not gonna say it's perfect. I'd always rather people hand wash. And that goes for any pack. I don't care, orange mud or not. You definitely would. You should always put it in, uh, you know, the shower with you. Wash it in the sink. Um, just you know, hand washing is always best. Take a garden hose to it. Always best. Washing machine is just, it's just
0: bad. This is actually such good information that I'm going to apply to my life. You know, where I'm like, there Whoa, you go. I'm actually going to remember this forever. Now, I hope so. <laughs> I
1: even, I even created a link on our website: how to wash a backpack.
0: No way, that's cool. Um, and it's basically, yeah.
1: I mean, because we we get the question all the time. Like, hey, um, just wondering how to wash this, but I just put it in the washing machine. I'm like, no, no, please don't. Here, here's a link. It tells you yeah. how to do it. And it has like three different, I even give you three, I think, three different options. So the shower, the technique, the hand wash in the washing machine, uh, hand wash in the sink, and uh, there's still like the garden hose technique, and you know, there's a million others. But I know a lot of people, they literally just take their packs in the shower with them, uh, whatever, once a month or whenever it starts to stink. And then just leave in the shower to dry. And that actually
0: works great. That's nice awesome. I will de- I'll definitely do that. And then my wife will walk in the bathroom and be like, what in the world are you doing? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I yeah, need to hydrate in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Hey, that, it's not a bad idea, you know?
1: Yeah, Dude, no, it's a really good idea. I was really even thinking, when, And flying this week, I was thinking, man, I wish I had my pack on so I could just drink right here. I wouldn't have to, you know, have my water bottle like uncomfortably pushing on the ladies. Feet in front of me, and you know, it's, it's all these weird things.
0: So yeah, yeah, that's think, awesome. That's super cool. So <laughs> it kind of stemmed out of adventure racing. It sounds like, which adventure yep. racing, I I've done like a rare few, like a couple, but every time they're my absolute favorite events ever. And yep. but my problem is this: like, my, I think me and my group of friends, I could probably get a team together that we could do some twenty-four hour ones for sure. But I guess what I'm what I find online is like they're either six hours and that's a lot of work to organize for like a really short race or they're yep. like five days long. And I'm like, well, we definitely can't. We, we don't have the skills for that. You know, I can't yeah, find a lot of like good in between ones.
1: No, you know, the, the sport out here out in the West, like West of the Mississippi, for whatever reason, has died uh, for the most part. And then East of the Mississippi seems to still be doing all right for whatever reason. Um, but, but yeah, you know, the, the sprints I'm with you, they're fun. They're actually awesome. They're a great way to get started. You know, that's in that two to six hour distance. Yeah. Um, but the 12 hours are some of the most fun races that I've ever done. Yeah. ton of them, And they're awesome. But yeah, I mean, a lot of those have kind of dried up and I don't, you know, I guess you and I need to put one together. There we go, man. Um, yeah, that's what we need to do. Because <laughs> even the 24s are honestly totally doable for almost anybody. Yeah. And it's the 24 hours are a lot of fun. They always call, like, a 12-hour is actually more like 8 to 16. And a 24 yeah. is more like 18 to 26, 20 or 30, you know, whatever. It's, it's a plus or minus-ish. Um, it's not like you're racing for 24 hours and, okay, you're done. You yeah. know, it's whoever completes the course the fastest and they design the course based upon this should take an average team, um, you know, 12-ish hours. Or they may have a cutoff where, you know, they – that's the other side It's 12 hours in you may be done. Um, but in adventure racing, it's not like you're just on some trail somewhere. You're like, cool, bring the van. (laughs) You still need to get to the finish line. So, um, but yeah, unfortunately there's not a lot in that kind of, um, more doable range. And I I think it's also what's hurting the sport is there's, there's that focus on expedition length, but there isn't the shorter distance to get people trained to be ready for that anymore. Um, by the by the numbers anyway. So,
0: it's almost yeah, it's like it's a tricky one. It's almost like inac- inaccessible to, to just the normal, regular person.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is a bit. I mean, it, when it's when there aren't a lot of events, and yeah, you're going to look at traveling and logistics for that. And again, organizing a team, it's one of the the downsides to adventure racing. The team is the best part and the worst part about the race. You know, the best part is that you know I've had the best camaraderie with you know my teammates over the years, and it just makes for one of the most unique experiences to be in these. You know, pretty insane environments and, and uh, uh, distances of whatever various different races we've done up to multi day. And, and it's awesome. But to organize that, like you basically have won the race because you hit the star line. I mean, with your team. It, I like every time, it was, I was always so nervous. I'm like, all oh, right, I hope nobody bails. I mean, this is, you know, it's, 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 you always have to have a female, which is tricky to find a female that wants to mountain bike, kayak. You know, run, swim, cut, whatever, all this stuff, off trail, it, it was tricky. And we were fortunate over the years to have a, a few different girls race with us that were amazing. Um, and, you know, we fortunately were generally pretty good on that front. But I know there were a lot of people that just had to bail because they couldn't find a, a female to race with them, let alone a guy. I mean, these yeah. guys are a little bit easier. But you do what I always found is that it was easy to find uh, somebody who had a mountain bike. But a lot of mountain bikers don't like to run. And a lot of runners don't like to bike. And then if you actually are lucky enough to find some guy or girl that likes to bike and run trail run, um, and mountain bike, um, then you have to find somebody that knows how to probably kayak. And you also have to have somebody knows how to read a map and, and, and compass really, really well. Um, which again, that just eliminates a lot of people from society right there. So it's, uh, it's tricky. It's, it's a lot of work to get literally your team to the start line. But once you do, it will be one of the coolest experiences and, I think I think I hope the sport will come back because it's it's something that I think most people will get a lot more out of, out of the sport than just simply going out and running an ultra and kind of being only in your own element the whole time. There's a lot you can learn just from hanging out with your teammates and the experiences there alone are just so valuable.
0: Yeah. Are there any experiences you've had that really kind of stuck out? I mean, I'm sure yeah, there's thousands, yeah. honestly.
1: There's a lot but I'd say one of the coolest ones we were racing in, uh, in Santa, uh, Santa Barbara, no, sorry, Yosemite, um, years ago. And this was all off trail at the time in the South end of Yosemite. And I remember we, we started, I think we started in the dark. We started at like 4am or something. And, um, and we raced, I think it was that it must've been that night, um, with, uh, some of these races blend together. But what, what I, what I distinctively remember it was coming upon dark, and we've been racing a good while already and it was coming up on dark and I remember um taking, you know, map and compass and, and setting a bearing on a saddle, um of a mountain saddle like I don't know, five, ten miles away. And we were up on one the other side of the mountains. And I, I remember telling my teammates, I'm like, All right, well, we're gonna run down in this valley and hopefully we will come out at that saddle over there, and then from there we're going to run down to the creek, and then there should be a road. We're going to hop on that road and run to the tran- the transition area. And as uh, I was like, hope we can do this in the dark in tree cover, and there wasn't a lot of moonlight. And next thing you know, it all worked out. But the views at night were stunning, and I remember being on the backside of that mountain um, after the sun had came up the next day, and like the 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 there was this high mountain lake that was basically the size of a football field it was real small and it was just stunning. And again, we were doing this all without a single trail, only with map and compass. And when you're doing that at night, following a bearing and having to move back, left and right around obstacles and everything, uh, you know, natural topography, it, it just really throws a lot of wild cards in there. So it's, it, it's always special when you're doing stuff like that. Cause you're amazed that it actually worked out and you actually made it. Yeah. <laughs> Even though yeah. there's, there's math to it. I mean, you're, there's a, mathematical process when you're triangulating to a point but there is still a lot of you know gut and hope and wishing
0: when
1: yeah. you're doing stuff like that did so, you yeah did, that was definitely a cool one.
0: did you bring that up to your team where like when you finally made it there were you like wow i didn't really think that would work out guys
1: yeah i know it was always about telling them much over the races because you know they really counted on me but there were there were definitely times where you know they're like well where are we i'm like "Ah, i know i just point to a place because i knew they didn't they couldn't tell there's a bunch of squiggly lines and they haven't been paying attention to the map so you know whatever but but there were there were definitely times in a race where i'd be like okay i gotta be honest with you i have no idea where we are i don't i here's where we were when we left and then i'm so turned around i i I thought I knew and then all of a sudden we're at this like cliff and there's no cliff on the map anywhere. I don't even know what happened. And, um, and, and it was always funny cause they they'd always be like, okay, well, what do we do next? I'm like, I really don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so every once in a while I'd, I'd clue them in when I was completely lost. And then sometimes I'd just go until I'd find a, a feature that I could figure, I could triangulate off of and then, you know, kind of figure things out. And, you know, there were the, the sport, it'll leave you, feeling like you know pretty helpless sometimes i mean i I was off course once by like four or five miles and and i i realized it. you know we hit we hit a little peak or all of a sudden i'm like oh man i went i just went the wrong way i set my bearing backwards 180 degrees wrong and i was like God, how did i do this and i remember telling him i was like man i'm sorry (laughs) it was at the start of the race it was like what we were talking about earlier i mean we back then we were generally top five most races and and uh this was like a mile in I went the wrong freaking way <laughs> and we went way off course but the real funny part is we had a bunch of teams following us cuz they knew I was generally pretty spot on and and we went a long ways off course and uh and we made the correction we came back and I don't know I think we were still on the podium but but it was it was it's it's definitely a sport that um will make you just completely brain dead by the end just from you know, planning and thinking constantly, which helps because again, I'm a crappy runner, so it was always nice to be like, hey guys, we need to stop and I check the map, but really it was just a nice good way to get an extra breath and uh and then also make sure we're on the right
0: course. Yeah. Yeah. Where did it take you? I mean I know it's a world it's a world it's almost it almost seems like it's bigger internationally. Oh it is. It's huge.
1: Yeah and uh, for me, though, I never went internationally. I just raced California, Nevada, Arizona, Utah. Cool. Uh, I think it was just those in the Adventure Race side. Cause there were a ton of them back then um, all over the area. And, you know, I tell you, another thing that, that everybody has, though, and it, it's, it's a sport no one ever really talks about, um, and, you know, I think some people chalk it up to maybe a little bit nerdy, but I tell you what, it's freaking awesome, is just orienteering. It's a good way to go out and get a great trail run, Get a little bit of adventure. Um, but basically, orienteering is the sport, you know, it's, it's at the root of adventure racing. It's map and compass. Um, you have a bunch of coordinates, and it's whoever can get in the fastest. Get all get all the points, of course, or at least as, as many as you can. So it's about points, but it's also about speed. And, and those are everywhere. If you go to uh, just Google orienteering in your local city, I'm sure there will be some orienteering races that uh, you could look up. And, uh, and again, it'd be a great way to get a run in with some, you know, kind of off trail adventure too.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I'm definitely going to look into that because when I think back to adventure racing, some of the most fun parts is the whole looking at a map with your team the night before and figuring out where you want to go, how you want to get there. And then really the adventure of, it's, I mean, for us, because we have no idea what we're doing with a map, is like the adventure of the unknown, where it's like, I don't know, I yeah. think we're going the right way, and we're like, all right, we'll figure it out, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I
1: would tell you, man, it, it is, I think that's the neat part. It's, it's 100% open-ended, and you know that you are you are literally in control of your future destiny, because in, in a lot of races, all you have to do is follow the course, and there's definitely no course following an adventure race. Your best-case scenario is is you're in some sand and you can follow someone else's footprints yeah. and you can hope that they know what they're doing, uh, which in adventure racing, you should hardly ever trust anybody because everybody's lost at some point. So it's generally not a good idea to ever just trust that. Um, but, but yeah, it is it is neat and you will see crazy things. Like we, we were in a, a race out in the North side of big bear in SoCal years ago and, and I was lost. I actually had no clue where we were. We were in a really tricky topography to navigate and uh, uh we saw a light in the distance and it was like three in the morning. And I told my teammates, I'm like, guys, I have literally no idea where we are. I we're about out of water, it was like hundred degrees. I'm like, let's go to that light. Maybe it's a camper or something. And so we did, we get up there, and as we're getting up there, we see it's like a chain link compound. It's like a quarter mile, half mile area fenced off in the desert in the middle of nowhere. We're like, holy crap, I don't know if we wanna get next to this fence, let alone Try to wake them up at three in the morning, and as we get up there, they saw our lights. And it's these two old dudes; they look like Santa Claus. I kid you not—big old white beards, probably seventy-five years old. And it was a mining claim; they had been off the grid for like seven hundred days. And they saw our lights coming up, and and we kind of hollered at them from the fence, about hundred yards away from their camper. And they hollered back. They're like, "Well, like we're like, hey man, guys, we just need water. We don't know where we are. We're in a race." And and they're like, yeah, yeah, come around the fence in the back corner. And we come in there and they bring us back into like this semi trailer. They br- literally are like, yeah, come inside the steel trailer. I'm like, oh man, this is probably not a good idea. And, uh, you know, they open it up and they have like a whole series of rations in there, food and water. And we go in, they were the nicest people could be. You
0: know, That's here awesome. we thought we
1: could be dying yeah, or dehydration, like- could be either or. <laughs> but, but, you know, it seemed like a better choice at the time. But, but again, that was one of the coolest things and they told us where to go from there and we figured it out and, you know, things worked out. But, but again, it's always those, like we, we still look back to that moment and wonder did that even really happen? Because like the whole scenario, if you were there, it didn't, it was so surreal that, that it was just, it was bizarre. It was, it was one of the most unique experiences of my life. And especially to run into these guys that look like Rumpelstiltskin or something. (laughs) It was, it was odd. It was an odd experience. Yeah. But I wouldn't trade it for, for anything. For that's sure. cool.
0: I mean, that's why it's adventure racing, you know? Like, that's right in yeah. the title because yeah. you're like – it's kind of – you you line up at the beginning with your team. You're like, I don't know what it's, what's about to happen, but it's going to be an adventure.
1: Yep. <laughs> exactly. Never – yeah, never dull. That's for dang yeah, sure.
0: That's awesome. So what kind of – you know, when you think about the lessons you learned in that sport and on all your other races, I mean, obviously you can apply those lessons to business and – and starting your own company so so what kind of like yeah. what has been some of the really key things you've learned about yourself that you've you've taken with you outside of the race
1: well i'd say the number one thing um is like we were we were on a i think we were day three of racing non-stop and um we I just remember the sun coming up on day three and yeah, I was like, gosh, we've been awake for like 75, 80 hours, whatever it was at the time. And I was like, I, I feel great. Like I, I, I couldn't believe how much energy we still had. And all we had maybe is like an hour and a half of sleep. Like we stopped and dropped in the sand a couple of times for like 30 minutes. Um, and, and it just makes you realize our, our bodies are capable of doing so much more than you'd ever possibly imagine that, I, I just don't think most people know, they just don't know that about themselves. I think so many people quit before they ever give them chance themselves a chance to freaking start, in my opinion, uh, some of these, you know, whatever it may be, you know, race, uh, work, whatever it may be. So I, I think the, the sport really carried over so much to me for just sticking things out and realizing that this moment might suck, but in just a little bit longer, it's probably going to be better again. And then it's probably gonna suck again. <laughs> and then it'll probably be better again. Um but the sunrise comes up every single day and you can always look forward to that. Yeah. So I, I think it's uh just sticking to those kind of basic, you know, principles, man. You can do anything. You just gotta put your mind to
0: it and move forward. That rocks. That rocks, Josh. Well, thank you, man. Thanks for coming on the show and sharing your stories. Like you've got me all like psyched up for adventure racing and orienteering and and, and you know, getting my pack dirty on purpose so I can wash it in the shower. So <laughs> perfect yeah man. I'll, I'll
1: expect nothing less
0: yes all right sweet so where can people kind of find your company find out more about what you're up to what you're doing
1: yeah uh orangemud.com on uh our website as well as uh at orange mud for pretty much any social media channel yeah man
0: you got a lot of cool stuff too because i was looking you have like you even have like stand-up paddleboard packs which is pretty sweet because i've been thinking about yeah checking out some of that kind of those kind of races and Seems like, yeah, with that kind of stuff, I'm like, well, how would I pack stuff? You know? Yep, exactly. Yeah, we. It's it's funny to
1: see the sports that we've grown into. You know, our endurance pack. So yeah, we have what's called the subset that I made for stand up paddle. Um, after kind of a crazy experience in Hawaii where I saw a girl getting blown to the ocean, and I was like on my knees trying to get my paddle board to shore. Um, hence why I made that pack. But really, that pack hasn't sold that well for stand-up paddle racers. It's good yeah. for like a recreational, like I'm staying in a hotel uh, and I need basic elements. But but like for racers, our endurance pack has been huge for stand-up paddle. That's awesome. Um, our Hydroquiver single barrel and our regular single barrel pack those have been huge in cross-country ski, and skate ski. Um, endurance pack's been great gear vest for snowboard uh, because it doesn't push you off the the lift because it's it's such a compact pack. Oh yeah, okay, and, and it's just been. It's been funny to see, like, we a horseback endurance horseback riding of all things because the way of our packs are designed, they're also really stable for horseback riding. Um, I would have never thought that I would have someone tell me that hey, I use this in a hundred mile ultra horseback race. No, and I was way. like, all right, cool, really? that's cool. Yeah, you're <laughs> like, pictures of this. <laughs> so yeah, it's. It's, I had a guy email me this morning from the Himalayas. He wasn't wearing one of our packs. I don't have a pack for that caliber of stuff. But, but he had our hat on the top of a, a summit in some big, huge summit. I forget which one in the Himalayas. It wasn't Everest, but yeah. he's preparing for Everest. And he's like, yeah, I got your hat at you know 26,000 feet or whatever. I'm like, that's awesome. So it's neat to see what people take your gear to. It's one of the coolest parts in, in just seeing – what people are doing with your stuff and and it's often very different than what you designed it for
0: yeah that's awesome man well thank you again so yeah check that out orangemud.com. um i'm definitely i'm looking on it right now and i'm like oh man all this stuff looks super cool i'm gonna have to definitely gonna have to check some of them out so sounds good buddy appreciate S- it sweet well we'll dude i if, since you're in castle rock we definitely have to do this again at some point i'm down man anytime
1: awesome or at least we'll get a ride in if nothing else and i'll uh We'll hopefully, take down some of my local trails and we'll try to keep sticky side down and keep the uh the blood in your body
0: and not on the trail. That would be nice. Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that wraps up another Like a Bigfoot podcast. Thank you so much, Josh, for being on the show. Thank you guys for listening. I really, really, really appreciate it. We're at 116 episodes, and that number is mind blowing. So, uh yeah. It's been quite, quite a journey, quite an adventure for me. And, um, hopefully you guys are enjoying and taking away some really cool lessons like I am. Uh, all right. I think I'm going to wrap up the show. they not a super long outro this week. Um, except I want to just tell you this, go out, do something fun, man. We're in fall fall's the best go out and have an adventure, right? I just explored. I have this big map on my wall of, uh, i have colorado but then i also have the front range and the front range one has all which is by where i live in arvada colorado anyways we have all sorts of trails on that one and i have been markering them like if i run that trail or hike it or bike it or whatever if i've been on the trail i've been filling it in with a little sharpie and it's crazy i feel like i've seen a whole lot of this area it's crazy how many parts of it i have not seen i've not explored um, and so that's my honestly, like that's my goal between now and uh kind of winter break before next year happens. So I want to explore more trails, and I know that's super vague, and I know you're not supposed to make your goals vague, but so be it. I want to explore more of these trails. I'm not sure how many, I'm not sure, like, but beyond that, I really don't have any other goals <laughs> like athletic goals, uh, until next year. So, anyways, that's where I'm at right now. Uh, hopefully, you guys explore your own areas right like there are cool places all over this world and i gotta tell you there's something special about when you get to like a really cool area by the power of your own two feet there's just something about it i don't know what that something is yet but there's something about it um yeah so go out and get them also speaking of that next week uh It was a really interesting, we have a really interesting show coming up. So speaking of someone who explored places with his own feet, next week I'm talking to the real-life Forrest Gump. Like, like he's the real Forrest Gump. He ran across America five times. He did Forrest Gump's route. The dude has a straight-up beard and hair like Forrest Gump. It's crazy. Except he's British and not Southern. So, anyways, tune in next week for that. We'll get back at you then. Peace out. Have a good week.